learned something this week. I learned something this week that I had never heard of before. And so I'm going to use it in my sermon, and I'm curious if you have heard of it as well. So major mood shift. We're going to go all the way back to 1943s, which feels just like I'm ripping you back, right? But just just go there with me, I promise, and, and we'll bring it back later in the sermon. But I learned randomly, I don't know how I stumbled upon this this week, that in the fall of 1943... In Italy, when German soldiers were there rounding up Jews, right? I mean, this is right in the middle of World War II, and Rome had just come under German captivity, right? They had taken control of the city. And the German soldiers were were rounding up all of the Jewish people that lived within the city limits. And you know that they weren't rounding them up for questioning, right? They were rounding them up to put them on trains and send them to, to concentration camps. But while that was happening in Rome, there was another pretty major event that that coincided with it that I had never heard of before. There was this deadly disease that was spreading like wildfire in Rome, and especially among the Jewish community. And it was a disease that they called Syndrome K. Syndrome K was spreading like wildfire among the Jewish community. And, and they talked about it like it was similar, similar to tuberculosis, but not treatable with antibiotics like tuberculosis was. But it caused a lot of the same symptoms, right? Like coughing and, I mean, like just a pretty nasty disease. But this also, they said, caused paralysis and like a, an onset of some sort of dementia. And then sometimes it would lead people even, even to death. Can you imagine that? That on top of everything else, right, you have this highly contagious disease ripping through the city among a community that is trying to hide together and survive. I just found myself thinking about the doctors in those hospitals, right? Like, I mean, can you imagine what they were experiencing? The beds filling up, people coming in sick with this mystery disease. There's not really anything that they can do for them, right? Except give them a bed and give them some fluids and and hope that they get better. Because remember, this is in the 40s. I mean, even now we've seen, right? We can relate to this more than ever probably after what we've experienced. But that sense of helplessness, When the hospital beds begin to fill up and you see all these sick people come in and just the feeling like there's nothing that you that you can do, it just it must have been uh, it must have been chaos. I'll come back to it, I promise. But just let that live in your head. okay? we're in the last Sunday of our series this week. We've been doing this for the whole month of August, looking at some giants of the faith, specifically in the Old Testament. And so we've looked at the story of Abram, we've looked at the story of Moses. Last week we spent some time looking at the exodus that the Israelites made out of Egypt. And this week we're looking at Rahab, and we're trying to answer the same question every week. How can we be the faithful people that God is calling us to be? And so we thought a really good way to try and answer that question would be to look at some of these stories, some of these faithful people to say, well, let's see what they did, and then let's discern if we can do that as well. So this week we're looking at the story of Rahab, which is one of my favorite people in Scripture. We're in the book of Joshua this morning. We're in chapter 2, and we're going to read it together. It's verses 1 through 14. It's a little bit of a longer Scripture reading, but oh my gosh, it is such a great story. Okay, so chapter 2 of Joshua. Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and spent the night there. The king of Jericho was told, Some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the whole land. 
But the woman took the two men and hid them. Then she said, true, the men came to me, but I don't know where they came from. And and when it was time to close the gate at dark, the men went out. Where the men went, I don't know. Pursue them quickly, for you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up onto the roof and hidden them with stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before they went to sleep, Rahab, she came up onto the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the dread of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, who you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me that the Lord, that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them to deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, Our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, Thanks be to God. So quick snapshot of where we are, right? A little bit of context. The Israelites have just spent 40 years in the wilderness being led by Moses, having come out of Egypt, and they're in this middle ground for a long time, right? And while they're in the wilderness, it's pretty much the whole book of Numbers, but while they're in the wilderness, they're really figuring out two things. Who they are as a people, no longer slaves, but a people called the Israelites and what that means for them. And they've also been figuring out who God is, who they are, who God is. They're beginning to put the pieces together, and they find themselves here at the beginning of Joshua on the shores of the Red Sea, the the, the Jordan River, I apologize, the Jordan River, about to cross into the Promised Land. Moses has just died. Joshua is now in charge, and Joshua is ready to lead them across the Jordan River to begin to take what has been promised to them, that promised land. And that land was promised to them all the way back to the first week of this series, if you remember, with that initial call and promise upon Abram's life. Remember, I will make you a blessings to the nations, and I will give you a land. So to start things off, Joshua sends two spies across the Jordan into the city of Jericho. And they go into the city to look for its weaknesses. Because remember, the Israelites are preparing to go on this conquest journey to take the land that God has promised to them. And they find themselves on their first night in the house of a prostitute named Rahab, which I'll admit is not a great look for the two spies, okay? I mean, I feel like we just need to say that. It is what it is, okay? It's not a great look for for the two spies. But it works out in their favor, doesn't it? The king of Jericho catches wind that there are two Israelite spies that have come into the city and they're scoping the city out. And he also figures out where they were last seen in the house of that prostitute named Rahab. 
So what we have to keep in mind at this point, because this is a new thing for us, because the last time we were in this narrative last week, it was a people that were slaves finding freedom. Well, things have radically changed since then, and the Israelites now have a pretty hefty reputation around. Like, like people have heard that these are the ones who brought down Pharaoh in Egypt in the blink of an eye. And people have heard the story of them walking through the Red Sea. Like people are starting to take notice that when these folks show up on your doorstep, it's the real deal. And their God is a God that is with them and a God that is, that is mighty. So the king says to Rahab, hey, Rahab, why don't you, uh, why don't you bring me those spies? so that I can take care of him. And Rahab says, what spies? I don't know what you're talking about, king. I mean, they did come to me at, at one time. I did see them, but I, I don't know where they came from, and, and I don't know where they went. They must have gotten out of the city gates before you closed them at dark, but I bet you can catch them. I bet they haven't been able to get far. So now that makes sense when you read the story why those who were pursuing them went to the Jordan River, because everybody knew that the Israelites were about to cross over. But she knew that they hadn't have escaped. And we know that she knew that they hadn't have escaped because instead she hid them on her roof. She put them up on her roof and hid them under some flax stalks to make sure that nobody could see them. Which for me, I don't know about for you, but for me that brings up some questions that I would love to ask Rahab. Why? Why would you do this? Why would you lie to your king? Why would you hide these spies that you don't know anything about? Why would you put yourself at risk for the lives of these two men? Wouldn't it have been a whole lot easier for her to just say, hey, yeah, I actually got him on my roof? Don't you think that would have gotten her some brownie points with the government? I mean, why would she do that? When I read this story sometimes, it's hard for me to get there. Why would she hide these spies on her roof, especially on her own roof? Not even on somebody else's roof, but on her roof. And I think there are two reasons. I think there are two reasons why she did this. And these two reasons are obvious. And I think these two reasons are why this story is such a beloved story in our scriptures. You know the answer to this. Why did Rahab do this? Well, she did it because of her courage. Yep, obvious answer, right? And she did it because of her faith. But I think when you combine those two things, suddenly it turns into Rahab was courageous because of her faith. I think we can almost see that play out when we look at that second block of scripture that we read, because the courage is the first thing that we see, right? It's it's the first thing that we notice. You have to be pretty bold to look a king dead in the eyes and lie to him. I mean, you do. She disobeys her own government just to save these spies. For anyone to do that, that would take courage. But when you factor in who Rahab is and where she fits in this society, it becomes even bigger than that. I think Rahab is someone we should pay attention to because she is a heroine in Scripture that breaks a lot of molds. I mean, again, these are obvious molds that she breaks, but I think they're worth talking about. I think we need to talk about them. Firstly, she's, she's a woman, So this, in my opinion, shatters any notion and breaks any mold that says God is only going to work and move through the leadership and initiative of men. I think we can't read this story and then say that we believe that is true. I think this story shows us that women are just as capable as anyone else in joining God in his work for and with the world. 
And I just think that's really important for us to say out loud. I think that's really important for me to say out loud. I mean, this story is one of the reasons why back in the 1950s, United Methodist Church started ordaining women and encouraging women to, to, to seek out their calling and their purpose and, and to discover what God was leading them to do with their life within their community of faith, but also beyond, right, for, for the world. Because we believe that God uses women and men just the same for his salvific work, just the same as he would use anybody else. And Rahab is one of the first women that we have in Scripture that breaks that mold, that, that goes against that grain. And friends, that took courage. Because a really safe assumption for us to make about Rahab is that for the majority of her life, she has probably not been treated with a whole lot of dignity or respect. I mean, one of those reasons is because she was a woman living in a society a couple thousand years ago, right? I mean, just that alone. But then you consider what she did for work. And then she does this? I mean, talk about courage, right? She acts out of immense amount of courage. Then you begin to ask that question, where did it come from? Where did she find all that courage? I think part of the answer to that is her, is her faith, The reason that she is trying to save these spies, the the foundation for that courage in her life is because she knows and she believes and she trusts that what she has heard is true. That God is with these people called the Israelites. She even says it, I think it's in verse 11, that their God, she believes, is the God in heaven and the God of earth below. Rahab believes in Yahweh. She believes that this God of of the nomad people, right, this God of the people that are trying to make their way through the wilderness, that this is the God that parted the sea, that this is the God that brought down Pharaoh in Egypt, and that this God is a God that she wants to be on the side of, a God that she believes in, and a God that she's willing to take a little bit of a little bit of risk for. Now, it may not be a fully formed faith, right? But she seems to have heard enough, enough to, to know that she wants to be on the side of, of this God, the God of freedom, the God of identity, the God of liberation, the God of the Israelites. Friends, our God, Rahab has heard enough about our God that she decides, you know what? I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that I am on the side of this God. So it leads her to take a little bit of risk. Maybe more than a little bit of risk, right? Leads her to take a lot of risk to do what she believes is right because of who she believes God is. Rahab is courageous because of her faith. Here's the thing about Syndrome K, and if you've heard of Syndrome K, then you already know this, right? But that disease that was ripping through Rome during World War II. It's, it's weird, right? Because it never made its way into any medical textbooks. And it didn't spread at all outside of Rome. And it really didn't spread in Rome at all outside of the Jewish community. And you probably haven't heard of it because it's not real. It's, it's not a real disease. It's a disease that was created by Dr. Giovanni Borromeo right about the time that anti-Semitic laws went in place in Rome. He was the head physician of a hospital in Rome, and he figured out that that was a way that he could offer safety to the Jewish community. So as their communities were being raided by the Germans, they knew that if they could just make it 
to the hospital that they would be admitted as a patient and that they would find safety there. And just about the whole hospital was in on it, right? Every Jewish paper, patient had legitimate papers for why they were in the hospital. But everybody in the hospital knew that if someone's paper said Syndrome K, it meant that this person was a perfectly healthy Jew that was just trying to survive and stay away from the Germans. And, and they named it, I love this, they named it Syndrome K after the German officer that was over the, the movement in Rome, and his name was Herbert, Herbert Kapler. That's why they named it Syndrome K. The story's great. I mean, the, the Jewish patients were instructed to cough whenever a soldier walked by through the hospital. So the soldiers were terrified of the disease, right? They didn't know if it was tuberculosis or if it was cancer, but they knew they didn't want any part of it. So they stayed, they stayed away. And the hospital did this. Get this, y'all. The hospital did this from 1938 to 1943, which is the full span of time that anti-Semitic laws were in place in Italy. They made sure that they didn't stop until those Jews were going to be safe when they walked out of the doors. And I tried, and I couldn't really find any exact numbers for how many people they believe were saved because of this. Some, some articles that I read said there were hundreds, and some said that it was just dozens. But I really, I don't think it really matters, right? I mean, I think if it was just a few lives that were saved, it's still a pretty remarkable story. And if you Google it now, you'll see the hospital name. I'm, I'm not going to try and say it because it's a, you know, it's a tricky word in Italian. But it's been uh, since named a house of life because of the sanctuary that it provided for those people. All because what? All because one doctor, right? Dr. Borromeo, that, that head physician of the hospital, had the courage to do what he knew was right. Here's the thing, and, and maybe this is why Rahab can be a hard story to relate to, right? The, the chances are is that we're not going to find ourselves in a situation where we're trying to, to hide spies from the government on our roof, right? I mean, that's a pretty safe assumption for us to make. It's also a pretty safe assumption to make that we're not going to be in a position to hide a whole group of people from an evil monarch that is trying to take them away. Right? I mean, we're not going to find ourselves in those situations. We're not ever going to feel like we need to come up with a fake disease in order to make sure that people live. But I was struck by this, looking at those two stories, and, and I think this is what I want your takeaway to be this week. If, if you look at these stories, right, if you look at the story of Rahab, what I realized this week is that she didn't have it all figured out when she decided to do what she did. She didn't know if the king was going to raid her home. She didn't know if somebody else had seen her with these two spies, and the king already knew that she was with them, and the king was testing her. She didn't know if the king would find out one day what, what she had done. She didn't have it all figured out. She was just willing to do the next right thing. That's it. She was just willing to do the next right thing because of her courage that was rooted in her faith. I think we see the same thing with those doctors. They didn't know how this was going to turn out when they did this with that first patient, whoever it was, and wrote Syndrome K on his chart. I bet they had no clue what they were doing when they started to hide Jews in their hospital. I know some doctors. I bet, I bet you do too. I'm friends with some doctors. I, I love them, but they don't exactly remind me of James Bond, right? I mean, you don't meet most doctors and think, oh, this is the guy that's going to, right? This is the girl that's going to lead a revolution against the government and have this whole, I mean, 
The doctors were totally out of their element. I mean, that, that's at least how I picture it, right? They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know how this was going to end up. But they were willing to do the next right thing. That's it. They looked at the situation. They realized what was right. And they were willing to do the next right thing and the next right thing after that. I mean, you see, right? And it began to build on each other. And, and, and then they didn't stop. And then suddenly you blink. And it's been five years. And they've made a massive impact on their community. Which I think leaves us with a question, right? The question that I've been left with this week and the question that I'll leave you leave with you. What are you not doing? What are you not saying yes to because you're trying to wait until you have it all figured out? What is God calling you to do? How is God seeking for you to be a part of the work that he is doing in our world or in our community? And you are reluctant because you don't feel like you have enough information. Because you just don't have it all figured out. Because you don't know how it's going to end, even though you may know how to get it started. I wonder what the next right thing is for you. The next right thing for you in your walk with Christ. What's the next right thing for you in your purpose, wherever you feel like it is God is calling you? Because my fear is, is that if we wait until we have it all figured out, if that's what our goal is, then we're going to be waiting our entire lives. I think that's what I love about the story of Rahab and, and the story about these doctors is that they really just, if you boil it down, they did something really simple. Really simple. They, they just did the next right thing. And before they knew it, it was way bigger than they could have ever imagined. I just found myself thinking about this week all of the, all the little moments, all the little opportunities, all the, all the small steps that we have opportunities to take every day to just do the next right thing. And when I read stories like this, what it makes me believe is that when we're willing to do those things, suddenly the impact will be greater than we could have, than we could have ever imagined. Because I don't know if you've heard, but our God brought down Egypt and Pharaoh in the, in, in the blink of an eye. And our God gave a nameless people, a people that were once slaves, an identity and led them into a land and, and made promises to them that that he kept, that are still good today. Our God, when those people, when their backs were up against the wall, he split the sea to make sure that they had a pathway to freedom. Our God gave them the promised land. And friends, all our God needs from us is the courage to just be willing to do the next right thing. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in The Gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.